In order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witnessed. We must be seen. Your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming. But everybody can see that moment where I just saw it. It's going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Hey guys, welcome back to the End Sons Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Blade. Yes, you are. And... This week, we wanted to circle around a conversation that we keep bumping into. Our family, I feel like, grew up around storytelling. That's right. Between dad making up stories about us as kids or reading To write Wild at Heart? Oh, no, the other ones. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. The pastor stories from the front of the stage, you're like, that isn't totally how it happened, but it sounds better that way. No, guys, it's how it happened. It is, yeah. I did want to be Bazooka Boy. Anyway, the, more like... We'd watch movies. Ah, you guys, there's this there's this documentary on Netflix right now, which for some reason it's like it's scratching the right itch for me. And it's called The Last Blockbuster. Oh yeah. And I didn't know that I had this nostalgia itch that needed to be scratched, but essentially here's what it is. I know that Ready Player One and Stranger Things and Wonder Woman and a bunch of other stuff have keyed in on the fact that we're all getting real nostalgic for like the 80s and 90s right now. So there's that. But the last blockbuster is a different kind of nostalgia for me. And it's like, it's describing what it was like to go into a blockbuster when it smells like, actually our buddy James Arnold Taylor was on that uh, documentary. So that was kind of fun. He's now our buddy, by the way. James, we're friends. <laughs> and... <laughs> I, I found myself a, a little bit like when I wrote the article on Chinese food. Like there was this eight-year-old-ish boy in me who was wanting that experience again of the family all goes, we pick out a couple of movies, we take them home for the weekend. And you're like, that that's your big plan, right? Is to go through these VHSs because that's what we still had at the time. Oh my gosh. I'm so old, Blaine. And it also keyed in on going to see a movie. The other day, I, I went and saw a movie in theaters for the first time since. What? But the experience that I was <laughs> longing for was was that communal, like going to go see The Phantom Menace, right? Like getting picked up from school, elementary school, yeah. heading downtown to the one movie theater. People all lined up around. Oh, oh that and, was a great day. And you, you feel like this camaraderie, this excitement, and this engagement with a story. And I'm not sure that I want to dissect why I love stories so much, though I know that these layers are all part of it, whether it's dad reading us stories, whether it's movie nights at home, whether it, it is the experience of Blockbuster, which has, obviously, they've all disappeared, maybe except for the one. I haven't actually finished the documentary. <laughs> I should get to the end of it. But the location since my mom and dad's house has been turned into a liquor store, though they haven't changed the doors themselves. So every time I walk into this liquor store, I'm walking back in to that same blockbuster and it's a little bit of like grief, nostalgia, longing. And I mentioned the Chinese food article because there's a young part of me that asks, will this ever come again? 
will there ever be this moment of, I mean, even watching a movie in a movie theater with a crowd who's all there to participate in one experience, one time, this communal uh, play acting. We we all project ourselves into these different characters and these different stories and learn something of our own world from it. So I care about all this stuff a lot. And apparently it doesn't matter about 80s, 90s, intelligence, whatever. It, it's something else for me. Which leads into this conversation around like how much we interact with it from TV shows to movies to um, Netflix to YouTube. Like it's constant. And it's not as passive as we might think it is. So I have like a list of things I... I bring to the table when I go into engage a show or a movie, and Ooh, is it a real list? But it, it is it like it feels like um rather than a list, maybe it feels more like um what am I putting in the car or what am I putting in the backpack? Like I'm I literally like bring different things with me when I engage different types of media. So I love Hayao Miyazaki. Oh animated gosh. films and which is your favorite oh i don't you're supposed to say spirited away if you're a miyazaki fan but, but... it's it's probably more like princess mononoke because that was the first one oh i gosh. ever watched that one is so intense but um nasuka in the valley nasuka of the wind is killer that's the one i introduce people to who haven't seen anything yet yeah because it's anyway or castle in the sky also great how's moving castle um very fun now there are lots of different pieces of worldview in Hayao Miyazaki's films. Sometimes they're his own. Sometimes, like with *House Moving Castle*, he's just taking something that already existed, somebody else's work, and creating something new with it. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Stop, though. Oh yeah. Yeah, because it's so perfect. Hugo, <laughs> uh, he took an existent work and changed very important dimensions of the story to present a different vision of reality. Hmm. Like reading that book yeah. by Diana Wynne-Jones, which is great on its own terms, and yep. made a, a slightly different thing that presents a, a very different world. Totally. It's very interesting to this conversation. Right. Um, I like to think that when I engage Miyazaki's work, I am purely putting on my um, wonder hat or, or what I'm bringing in the car, the backpack is not critical thinking. It's not worldview. It's purely just, I'm here to enjoy it. I'm here to be entertained and I'm not here to go, oh, that one had a witch or, oh, there's this different, like there's a portal here or wow, there's a bunch of different spirits and people are being turned into them and there's a really interesting cycle in Eastern worldview that comes across in the storytelling of the the cycle is that there's an evil character and they are the antagonist and they, the, the protagonist will battle with them in some way. And when they are victorious over the evil character, they'll realize that the evil character, though they had evil actions, actually isn't that evil. And then, then they become friends and they go on to the real evil character, but the cycle just repeats to an extent where you sort of go, oh, well, there's no real evil. There's only evil action. And you sort of go, well, okay, am I here for entertainment? Am I here for worldview? 
And I think that it is possible to go to a thing thinking to your, wanting to just be entertained. I do it all the time. Like with the Blockbuster documentary. I'm not interested in starting a franchise. I, I don't want to go dig up my old Blockbuster card. I think that went in the trash. Like I, I'm, you don't you don't want to watch the Never Ending Story again? N- no, I don't. I, I don't particularly at all. But I think that it's possible. Now I don't actually know how true that is. I think that you might say that while most of us engage entertainment in that way it might be impossible to interact with something without being slightly colored by it. And that's my assumption based off of some previous conversations we have, but I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So feel free to now <laughs> jump in here. You've had, you've had the longest tea in ever of Sam it's rambling so and talking about all of this stuff, but I learned a lot. This is, uh, you know, been your episode with Sam. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's take lunch. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. A few other things to say before we just dive in. Uh, I think we've said before, but it's important to remember that stories don't exist to teach lessons. They exist to show you the nature of reality. And when you understand uh, the nature of reality, you're sometimes able to extract lessons, but they don't exist to deliver points. They're not vehicles for instruction. Uh, And when they are, they're not stories. To go. What are they then? Lessons or sermons or Ooh. lectures or. Okay. <laughs> you know, we came a little bit before this, but now you can learn math from Iron Man and there's kind of a story to keep your attention. But what? <laughs> is this a real thing? Well, this is like. Uh, yes, this is a thing. This I, is the... I grew up at the wrong time. <laughs> And then the next thing you got to say is that uh, how not to be a rigid and, I don't know, unproductive person, how, how not be a really annoying robot while not being naive. Yeah. <laughs> because. Are those my two options, being naive or being a robot? No. Can I be a naive bot? <laughs> a robe? <laughs> yeah. Because I'm the guy now who comes out of the movie or who sees the thing and is a little bit ready to (laughs) rant. It it takes deliberate restraint uh, to not go, but did you see the picture of reality? Did you see the statements that were being made about the nature of reality in that piece of art? Mm -hmm. And... (laughs) <laughs> to go this used to bother us a lot as kids when dad would do this yes, right you know we'd be certainly. watching at, i don't know mm, something with harrison ford and submarines and he would pause it like four different times in the movie and be like look look do you see? see do you see the lie that he's trying Identity, to present yeah We're like stop it let me just watch <laughs> like, the movie i'm just kind of here for the experience uh but like but it's like Oh, but the experience is formative, my son. <laughs> it's shaping you in ways that you cannot understand. And now that's and, you. And now that's me. But um, this episode, just so you know, like the tattoos one, you had to do an intro after the fact where you said, we're not against tattoos. I'm trying to incorporate that intro right here to go. Hmm. We're not about to say 
you can only read the Bible and uh, <laughs> yes. watch TV shows that are about Jesus that don't, you know. Everything, everything by Focus on the Family and The Chosen is kind of your options. Dallas, if you're listening to this, love your show. Um, but go. But we're like, uh, we're going to also recommend some postures uh, and go, this stuff isn't neutral, folks. You know, maybe you've had this deep moment already uh, where you've realized that, you know, Art, this classic formulation. Art does not imitate life. Life imitates art. And uh, like Baudrillard, 20th century philosopher, called this hyper-reality. Um, but he was also a very disillusioned, disenchanted person. Mm. And go, well, you know that when you uh, uh, roll out a story... It shapes people to the extent that they begin to imitate that that story, that they use the story to make sense of who they are and they start doing the thing. Yeah, I think I've experienced that on a very observable scale where I'll watch a story about a couple or about a child and parent relationship and it will inform the ways that I will want to interact after watching it. It'll, it'll feel like, oh, that helps me have some clarity on I don't want to become X or I do want to become X. And, it will immediately be like a fingerprint on how I behave for the foreseeable future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it is okay, people, to uh, go, I didn't watch, you know, that movie. I didn't go to that show or whatever for the express purpose of worldview formation. I was just kind of chilling. And I'm like, this was me when I went and saw... Hobbs and Shaw in theaters. I was one of three people in the theater with the other two guys who I went with. And we had a fantastic time. I've never, I've never laughed more in a movie than in that piece of action perfection. But I didn't go to Hobbs and Shaw to take away lessons or to learn how to be a man. Nonetheless, I did not go thinking that it would have no formative effect at all that I did not have to consider in advance in order to mitigate the shaping influence of basically all of the art that I engage, because all of art is an extremely, extremely potent weapon and the most, maybe the single most useful tool in shaping human beings. I thought you went to Hobbs and Shaw to like learn how to be, I don't know. Race car driver? Uh, <laughs> yeah, like a martial artist. How to be Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> mm, right? Seems to evolve less hair than you have. No, it, the incredible thing is that people create art to share experiences. It's one of the reasons. Tolstoy called this the emotionalist perspective on, uh, he wrote a book called What is Art? And, and one of the things he, he identified is simply art is driven by intent and art is communal. And so we build stories to help people see something or to create a shared experience. This is not neutral. So where'd start? <laughs> You know the guy who just really, really, really doesn't like Pixar films because he sees the unbelievable worldview formation that's going in and how brilliantly they convey certain ideas? Are you talking about yourself? Yes. Yeah. Um, because who doesn't like Pixar movies? They're the best. What's at the what they do. You? They're the best at what they do. Inside Out, 
Up. I mean, you can't watch Up and get two minutes into that thing without weeping like a baby. <laughs> that must be good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so <laughs> oh, let's start here. I'm worried. In the Odyssey, uh, Odysseus needs to talk to the Shade of Achilles. The Shade, like his shadow? The, the Shade being uh, the ancient conception of the afterlife. Which is accurate in its essence, uh, by the way. It makes some accurate observations about the nature of humanity, Raphaim, eternity. Anyway. So how does he talk to this shade? So the shade is the spirit of Achilles. So he goes and he takes two, I think it's two, he takes some black goats to a thin space. And he sacrifices the goats and he puts their blood in a bowl so that the shades will be drawn out to drink it. And then he can ask them if any of them know where Achilles is, and he can try to get to the spirit of Achilles to get the information that he needs. And the ancients thought that once people died, they went into a shadowy kind of afterlife and and faded away unless they were sustained through ritual or through living memory. But they kind of faded and faded and faded, and some of them eventually vanished. And... By the way, he does manage to talk to the spirit of Achilles. Not that it's super productive. No. Well, I was going to be wondering that. So thank you. So this idea is interesting when you track over to Pixar's movie Coco, which is just a beautiful movie about identity, family relationships, and history, and also the nature of reality in an insidious way. And to go, I enjoyed Coco. Mm-hmm. I felt emotions mm-hmm. and like a desire to understand who I was in terms of my family's history. If you haven't seen that movie, it's like the family's like no music, music destroyed the family, but then... We don't the talk pro- about the grandfather. Yeah, or... the protagonist boy, but it turns out like, no, you you are the heir of this tr- tradition and your grandfather didn't abandon the family. He was murdered and... And he was an incredible musician, and you are uh, descended from, like, the greats. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, all of that. Who doesn't want that story? Uh, all of that is great mm-hmm. and helpful. Uh, it takes place in this backdrop of eternity that isn't random. That's like, you need to remember your ancestors or or their shades literally fade away and disappear in that film. And not just remember them, but also offer. host them at these ritual meals and go. It is Dia de los Muertos. It's Dia de los Muertos, which has. Are we just honoring other cultures by having this movie? <laughs> are we just, or isn't this like just a culture? And you're like, no, 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 no. This culture has figured things out. We talked about on the tattoos episode how people have interactions with spirits and then they figure out how to broker those relationships and that results in characteristic rituals and architecture emerging all over the world. Right. Dia de los Muertos is one of those products where it's like, um, you know, uh, the offerings of food, the offerings of hospitality, the offerings of hosting the spirits of your ancestors to keep them alive and in communion with the family, but also for their benefits and protection and things, and go, that's all maybe more real than we would like to admit. And And what freaks you out about Pixar making Coco 
is the level of detail of understanding that worldview that Pixar demonstrated and offered to its viewers. Right. The accuracy of something very potent. This is effective. And when I saw the movie, I was like, whoa, you guys are doing some pretty significant worldview formation here with a pretty deep understanding of these ancient observations about the afterlife. And <laughs> human spirit sticking around and doing things, by the way, in a negative way is a thing in the Bible. All right. We're going to have to have Dr. Michael Heiser on here and we're gonna, we'll do a longer interview and he'll explain it better. Um, Mike, what's up? After the movie, I had just this fascinating thing of being like, wow, this is recommending a kind of accurate vision of family and history. And the anthem of that film, which I have played, in my, and I know it's catchy. Our love for each other will live on forever. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, wait, is like, that's eternity? Like, life and forever? Wait. What are you saying and trying to get me to think and trying to get me to do? Because as we're passing into the new age of the magician, by the way, and out of secular materialism, the artists are on the forefront of this movement being like, I am over here going, oh, interfacing with spirits? Yeah, totally. But you should be careful about the ways you do it because it works. Uh, And I think it works because it happens in the Bible. I mean, the The easiest example is when the spirit of Samuel gets called a god as it's coming out of the ground for the medium to talk to Saul. But also there's the ancient warrior kings who are like mediating the access to hell and other stories. Anyway. I don't think we read the same book. (laughs) Man. (laughs) Almost certainly true in some nerdy senses. For the sake of time, you have another example of Pixar's. A lot of people have been recommending Pixar is like a very glaring example, by the way. I'm not picking on them. No. Um, but I would go, uh, every film, all, the art that you engage is formative. And, yeah. and understanding that it's not neutral is important. Now, I want to get to the some of the takeaways, but an example first. Uh, the movie Soul, wow. Absolutely incredible. Again, and this level of accuracy. I did not like that movie. At all. <laughs> and uh, uh, I watched it on the recommend. I think I was being trolled by colleagues who were like, you should watch this movie. I think they, I think they liked it a lot. We'll know how you feel. Yeah. Uh, and it was like, wait, 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 wait. This is a Gnostic. Uh, Gnostic as like early but, esotericism. But no, it's not. Right? But like it from is- the 30,000 <sighs> foot, from like the, the interaction of identity and callings and imprints and creativity, like all that sort of stuff. Isn't that what the movie's about, Blaine? Oh, man. Try to make me mad. No, <laughs> it's not. Okay, what is it about? And the movie's not even about the beauty of the world because there's no world and there's no substance at all. Like That does sound like Gnosticism. And, but you go, I, what I couldn't believe, so I'm watching along and, you know, the character goes into a coma and his soul's on this conveyor belt into the great beyond. And as the souls are like lifting up to go into the great beyond, they turn into spheres. And I was like, holy cow, that's originism. That's an early Christian heresy. Like, that's not just a random artistic decision. That is so precise. Let's see if uh, the persuasive portrayal of Gnosticism continues in this film. And it's like, 
Whoa, wait. So you have uh, these souls, which are aka like intelligences, essences, uh, that don't have any identity. They're immaterial, so they don't have a gender. Uh, they don't have a nationality. They don't even really have a personality. They're just an intelligence get dropped in and then like live life in bodies and then leave the body. And I'm like, whoa, this could not be more opposite of the picture of reality that's given to you in Jesus. And what's so alarming about it is that if you watch that movie and go, oh, yeah, I kind of think that's the way things are. You're like, okay, so embodiment is totally irrelevant to humanity. Great. That doesn't bear out. We've talked about that in other podcasts. We've talked about embodied cognition. We've talked about the world beyond your head and gone. That's not true. Bodies are fundamental to uh, the formation of humanity. And like and the rejection of them is the heresy of Gnosticism. Yeah. Yeah. As a number of heresies that all stem from Gnosticism. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Multiple choices. <laughs> to be more precise. Okay. But it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then there's this moment where it's like before the souls get to go down, they have to discover their spark, like something that's going to be their thing while they're on the earth. And, uh, and the movie is just kind of like classical Greek rejection of the material is valuable uh, is insane. But the protagonist is talking to this manifestation of the ultimate intelligence of the universe and is going, you know, what was the life purpose of, you know, that that student that I was working with in this film? And the ultimate spirit like scoffs and goes, ha, huh, life purposes, meanings of life. We don't decide those. It like walks away. And I'm like, at the climax of the film, it goes, there's no purpose no and of- no meaning of life. Right. Um, you humans... And your silly habit of latching onto that concept. And I'm like, okay, okay. But this is an agnostic manifesto. And there are the formal elements of the art, like the design features, the aesthetic, the vibe, the music, all of the formal dimensions of that movie are incredible. Uh, And its ability to create uh, shared emotional experiences is unbelievable. Like... Those artists are great at what they do. They're Mm. so good. But with these varying films, sometimes I'm able to be like, oh, cool. Like I can extract these. Sometimes I'm a little too triggered. The point here is like, that's not random. Mm -hmm. That's not incidental. Right. It is highly persuasive. And... The way to engage art is not to ignore that and pretend like that's not true. It's actually to have a larger view of God's power to save and to form identity and to know that in confidence, you can engage a massive variety of content without being shaped, even though it's trying to shape you. But you can't do it passively Certainly not in the extreme cases. So um, I'm pulling up the Thomas Merton quote, right? Which is going to apply to creativity here. And it's one that we've quoted before. And it's actually probably been a couple of years since we brought it up. Thomas Merton talking about the wisdom of the desert, talking about the desert fathers and what they believed about society. That society was regarded as a shipwreck from which each single individual man had to swim for his life. 
these were men who believed that to let oneself drift along, passively accepting the tenets and values of what they knew as society, was purely and simply a disaster. I bring up that quote in this context here because I think if we have what you're naming, if you have that robust view of God, his ability to save, you're able to engage creativity and art, different forms of belief and storytelling with a groundedness that won't be swept along. And that's why we're not pushing in for a, hey, only watch things that are explicitly about Jesus as Savior or any other metaphor like that. You can watch, um, I don't know, the many adaptations of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and that's it. What we're saying is if you have a robustness, you can actually avoid that passive accepting of the tenets and values that are in every story, in every worldview, in every act of storytelling and creative work, where I could, I've, I've gone into some of those and not felt like I've been in a grounded place, like with the Miyazaki film. And I watched the the cycle of there isn't real evil, there's just evil action. And I kind of feel myself going, huh, yeah, maybe there really isn't evil. There's just evil action and good action. And I walk away from it feeling a little bit like I'm under the spell of maybe the the, the prince in the silver chair and going like, I, I have lost a little bit of my clarity and the fruit of engaging that piece of creative work while I wanted it just to be enjoyment has negatively affected my view of the world and the view of myself. And so the hope in this is to go, no, no, no. Like if you're passively drifting along, you will massively have your worldview shifted and informed and changed. And we don't have to become the pause the movie five times and do a book report and be hypercritical all the way along. Instead, I think what we're throwing out there is the best way to engage it is to feel very grounded in what you believe to be real so that when you encounter other alternatives to that, you see them for what they are and you can either continue to engage the creativity or not. That's so good. Engaging story is a practice that we grow in. Recognizing the power of story is a practice that we grow in. If you are someone who freaks out, which I can be on occasion, it's like, you need to know maybe more about the sovereignty, like the executive power of Jesus and his idea to work with partial things. You know, like Paul the Apostle's famous natural theology sermons or his altar to an unknown God talk, like, He's so able to use stories that are actually really, really, really corrupt, but he doesn't need to throw them out. He understands that there's a process and he can go, oh, yeah, I see that you're religious in every way. You understand that there are spirits that you're interacting with, but what you have worshipped in secret, I can make known to you. And it's like, yeah, but Paul, I mean... The Roman view of the cosmos is not the same as the Jewish view of the cosmos. I mean, those are very different. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't come in and begin correcting everything. Uh, so if you're the freak out person, there's a little like, yes, it all is exactly as bad as you think. Turn over any rock and you should expect to find weird, esoteric, spiritually warfare driven or, you know, cultic origins. It's like, if you are to that person, yeah, that matters. It's just not a massive deal. 
Hmm. Be like, no, that is important. But taking it seriously is not the same as believing that withdraw is the only possible solution. Right. People can be much more in process than you think. If you are on the other side and are like, it doesn't matter. One of the things that I want to point out is like, stories form people and you should actually look at the stories that you're consuming and look at how precisely and uh, verifiably, reliably, uh, they carry competing stories, competing stories maybe to the one that you would like to live. And to go, take your soul seriously. I love the conversations with people who will come away from a movie like Soul and love it. Mm -hmm. And somebody go, tell me, what, what did you love about that? Right. That's actually um, a, a, one of our favorite questions is just what someone's favorite story, movie, book reveals about them and who they want to be in it. Like that's a classic yes. doorway to know someone. Common grace, right? There's a Christian theological thing that's like you can be protected from a lot you don't realize you're being protected from. And if someone watched Soul and was like his life, he wanted to be significant and he felt like he wasn't. But then he realized his ability to engage beauty, let him to connect with people, and like, and it was enough. And I'd be like, that was what you got of that? Awesome. That's totally what God is doing in your life right now. Mm -hmm. Great. Enough said. It seems like your perception of human identity was just kind of covered or didn't come into contact with that. But if, on the other hand, someone was like, I just loved that, you know, we really are blank slates. Why is it important to you to think that? Why does that matter? Let's get to, mm. I'm not going to speak to your mind. I'm going to speak to your heart. But there's a reason that that is appealing to you. Um, it's probably rooted in the story. And we're not going to address the problem by me explaining to you the Christian heretic origin. <laughs> yeah. Even though his ideas are in that movie. Hmm. So personally, as we've been coming in for a landing, the ways that I have learned, and back to that metaphor of like the vehicle, uh, I do engage some things with very different intentionalities. Uh, I, a lot of us recently watched the documentary, My Octopus Teacher, and it was beautiful and amazing. And also some of the narrator's worldview that slips in and some of his story wasn't where I wanted to go with it. I actually wanted to pursue the beauty of nature, the beauty of the ocean, and I found it to be a very healing experience. And a practice that we have, a few of us have around here is often, Jesus, what do you want to talk to me about in this? What do you want me to focus on? And that can be a really helpful lens that will help you navigate a story. Like there might be something in it for you of identity. There might be something in it for you that is just healing. And I say just, I mean, could you want anything more than healing by watching something? And could there be something more on a deeper level about that that is addressing worldview or addressing ways that you have you have let some things in and go, oh, I really loved this particular series and I hadn't realized before just how much it was slowly driving in a different direction. And Morgan will allude to this as well, but of just a couple degrees off at first isn't that big of a deal. But when you continue to follow those several degrees off for miles and miles, you end up in a very different place than you would have gone. And 
that is a concerning fact. That is a concerning metaphor. That is a concerning trajectory. That's so good. We sort of, in our brainstorming session, thought that this episode would be important when one of our producers said, what do you do with the fact that story is so value-laden, that story is so formative? Most people seem to land on one of two reactive poles, either total passivity or total uh, withdrawal and renunciation if they acknowledge the formative effect of the stories that we engage. And we thought it would be great uh, to come in and go, reminder, everybody, stories tell you about the nature of reality and form the way that you see the world. And as a man who wants to care for his soul, who wants to like become mature, you get to land uh, neither at renunciation and withdrawal or passivity. You get to land at uh, being a student of Jesus, growing in your ability to engage the world, know about the world, uh, share experiences with other people. And so developing the questions, uh, developing the eye, simply paying attention to the effect of something on your soul is all a great skill. Not to make sure that you're not accidentally tainted or something, uh, but to make sure that uh, you are actually seeing increasingly and over time the themes that God wants to speak to you about in the language of story while also seeing and being able to avoid the ways that the enemy wants to destroy you as you grow in your skill as a warrior. And those both ride and are developed in the space of engaging stories. 